0: Welcome to Grace Point, and again, I hope you get to know the Halls a little bit over the next uh, few months, maybe even years, as they kind of re-settle back into Northwest Arkansas for a time and retool and uh, find that new place of where God's leading them. I want, to, I want you to know the Hall family as you see them around. They're uh, in the hallways and so forth. Uh, here's a photo of the family. Troy's obviously the bald guy on the left. And uh, start way, your way around clockwise. You got Cherie, and you think uh, you get to know Troy. Troy's a great, a great guy, but Cherie really is the is the glue that holds the family together. And she's a, she's amazing, servant hearted, loves to cook and to serve, and just has a, a overwhelming amazing heart. And then the boys, uh, Dawson, Braden, and Caden. Caden was born over there. And uh, again, we keep talking over there. We keep talking about that. We can't mention this country. Um, this, this, broadca- this is broadcast in, uh, on the internet, and we can't mention this place. I was there uh, a year ago with Jeff Webb and I. We visited uh, the halls, and we saw them. We, and when you're getting off the plane, clearing customs, there is a clear sign that's in front of you in English that says, no Bibles, no religious paraphernalia. This is a country ruled by Sharia law. That's what welcomes you into the country. And as I'm holding my Bible in my, in, my, in my bag, they didn't search it or anything like that, but just the realization that you're not in Kansas anymore. And our family, a family from our community, and I just wanted to emphasize that. That's why I wanted Troy to lead today. I want him, you to see him and to know him and to put a face with a name because we've talked about them in this mysterious kind of way. But they're ours. They're us. They're part of our family. And that's important. And we're talking about what's important in this series and what matters most in this series. And as we talked about it, let's just kind of hit a review real quick for those who are maybe from out of town visiting us today or maybe those who have missed out on maybe one of the two messages. So Lori shared last week, but the week before that we kicked it off and we talked about what matters most is that we know God and from the knowledge of God, from the knowledge of God, we worship God. Knowing God and worshiping God, and that whole knowing God is really diving into His glory. All right, again, a word that we don't really understand, a word we don't really necessarily use, but in the in the Hebrew it means density or the weight or the measurement of God. Again, you measure me; I'm six foot three, I'm two hundred and thirty pounds, and and all this kind. Of, that's how you measure me out, okay? And maybe after Thanksgiving, I'm maybe a little more than that, okay? But we're not gonna go there. Uh, The point is, is that you measure me that way. I am mass. I am this quality, quantity, that's who I am. If you were to measure God, how do you measure God? How do you measure infinity? You measure it by the word glory. And when you start unpacking the infinity of God, and when you start diving into the infinity of God, and you think that you understand God, you don't even begin to understand God. And that's why I say this. When we have a big view of God, we'll have a much smaller view of ourselves. But the problem in our day and age is we have a very high view of ourselves, a very big view of ourselves, and a very small, containable, manageable, uh, controllable view of God, which is absolutely against everything that we know about God from Scripture. But when we understand, when we start diving into the glory, the density, the measure of God, then we will open our eyes to a whole new level of who God is, and it will lead to worship. It's a natural thing. It's a natural, involuntary response, maybe voluntary as well, but where we literally... Dive into worship, we raise our hands, we lift our hearts, we give our lives. we cannot be still and stagnant any longer. That's what happens when you know God. We talked about knowing God as being what matters most. Well, what also what matters most is, is people without Jesus. We say it in that way, particularly that it's not just people who know Jesus that matters, but it's actually people who do not know Jesus matters. And we know that that matters because that matters to God. And we try to create an environment at Grace Point where even the terminologies and the phrases that we use, that we we want to create an environment where, where people who are far from God can find God here, can discover God here, can explore God. We have people from the Hindu faith in all denominations and from even Muslim faith that will come and visit our gatherings from time to time. And they're just a part of us. They're just in the room. They're just one. And we love that. We want this to be a safe place where people can come and explore their faith and dive into their faith and experience it. And listen, let me just say this. We got to do that intentionally. That doesn't just happen by accident. So we have people, we have a first impressions ministry where people are out serving and they're greeting and they're giving out coffee and bulletins and different things like that. That's that first. It takes 56 people every week just to man that, just to say, hey, I want to love people. All right, and, and you're not a lover or you're not an extrovert or something like that. Listen, stretch yourself. Learn to embrace a stranger. Learn to embrace somebody different than you. Learn to love someone. And that's what it means, again, again to be a, a faith family that, that realizes that what matters most are, are people without, without Jesus. We even have like a three-minute rule around here. And I want to challenge you today. Take the three-minute challenge to where when you leave here today, you'll not turn around and just shake hands with the people right around you. No, will know, hey, where are you going to lunch? The people you already know. Find somebody you don't know. And for the first three minutes, hey, listen, you don't have to invite them over for Thanksgiving. That was last week, okay? Invite them for Christmas maybe. But no, the point is, is that you're going to get to know somebody new. Now, it may be something that carries on and on, and maybe it isn't. But let's be an engaging person body of believers who makes the people who are far from God feel welcomed and embraced. And you're going to hear some verses that I'm going to read at the very end that will actually support that. Uh, Also, I think we need to be people who live sent. If we really believe what matters is people without God, the knowledge of God, without a relationship with God, then we need to live sent. We need to go. We need to be willing to go. We need to live as Jesus lived. We need to operate as Jesus operated. If we think about how did Jesus operate, how did he function? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's how Jesus lived. That doesn't mean you have to live that way, does it? Or does it not? John 20, verse 21 says, The Father has sent me, I'm sending you. In the same way the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. If Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, then what are we to be doing? Exactly the same thing that Jesus did. You know, when I, one of my favorite mentors, or I guess uh, former living uh, heroes of the faith, I guess, would be a guy by the name of David Livingston. He was the first uh, missionary into Africa. Uh, we lived in a town that was named after David Livingston. So he's always been one that I've read a lot on, but one of the statements that he made was he made this statement. He said, God had one son. Think about it. And he made him a doctor and a missionary. He made him two things. A doctor, he was a great physician, but he was also a missionary. So why don't you think about yourself. What is it that you do? Are you a vendor, a supplier? But you're also a missionary. Are you a doctor? You're also a missionary. Are you a student? You're also a missionary. Are you a lawyer? You're also a missionary. Are you a barista? You're also a missionary. If you can totally turn your paradigm into being that I am not only this and I do this and I get paid to do this, but I am called by the God of the universe to be a missionary for him, then you're getting the picture of what we're supposed to be about and what matters most to God. Should matter the most to us. Now you think, oh, hold on, Mike, you said two things matter most. Now you're going to add another thing on there today. What's this whole multiple layers of what matters most? There's only one thing, right? What's the one thing that matters most? In reality, it's not that way. It's like Lori said last week in her message what's more important in your car, oil or fuel? To get it down the road, what's more important, oil or fuel? Well, you got to have them both, or you're not going to go any, far, any way at all. What's more important? oxygen in, in, in water oxygen or hydrogen. What's more important you got to have them both to have water. what's more important for a soldier in the field in a, in a line of combat in a, in a line of fire is it his assault rifle or the ammunition in his assault rifle both you can't function without the other they make a whole package. We're in this series looking at the totality of what it matters most in life and what matters most to his church, and what matters most to me as an individual. Now, don't segment the two out, because we are called, if you're a child of God, if you're a part of his family, then you're a part of this thing that matters most, which is what I want to talk about today, a community that cares. What matters most is that you're a part of, I'm a part of, I contribute to, I don't just receive from, but I'm contributing to a community that cares. A community that gives, a community that receives, a community that breathes in, a community that breathes out. You heard the halls and their sense of isolation in this place that they lived where they couldn't carry their Bibles and they couldn't pray and they they couldn't do so many things that we take for granted. And you heard last week from Aubrey, who's living in a West African country, and you heard from her, and she shared about her safety and where she's at. And at the same time, she's only been there a few months. She can barely speak the language, and she's learning to speak the language. But yet there could be such a sense of isolation. I can remember when we packed up, and we moved to Zambia. We left a great church and a great people, and we had no clue what we were forfeiting. When we walked away, we had no, no clue that what, what our children would miss when we walked away from a Sunday school class and the Sunday school teachers. And you know, I walked away from Christian literature and Christian TV here. You know, that's corny stuff most of the time. Anyway, but I mean, when I walked away from Christian radio and I walked away from all this other uh, stuff that was pouring into my life and it was gone. Brothers and sisters walking with me, Lori and her Bible studies, it was all gone. And all of a sudden we're out there alone. Alone, alone. I'm not trying to draw some sob story, but here's what I'm trying to say, is going it alone is a dangerous place. It's a dangerous posture. You were not made to go it alone. You need to be a part of a community that cares. You need to be a contributor to a community that cares if you're going to be all that you should be. Proverbs 18.1 should scare the socks off of you. Because Proverbs 18.1 is what many people choose to live because they choose not to be a part of a community. This is what Proverbs 18.1 says. Throw it up there on the screen, guys. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound judgment. Hey, I can do it. I don't need anybody else. I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I can, I can handle my faith. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be a part of a church. I can sit in a deer stand. I can, I can do my own thing in my own home. And we talk about this whole, and what, what it does is it isolates us. I need the body. I need the church. You need the church. I need you, and you need me. I have a group of men that I meet with every Monday morning at 6 a.m. in my office. And I can tell you right now, over the past few months, they have seen me melt down, they've seen me cry. They, I thank God that I have a communitas group of men. We call them communitas groups around here. It's where you connect with other people. But I can tell you this, I, and we have about 30 or 40 different groups that are out there all over, different times and places. Now, we can't make them be a certain way, but what we try to do is we try to create pockets and environments where hopefully community, caring, faithful community can happen. And I can tell you from me, at 6 a.m. on Monday mornings in my office, it is a beautiful, sweet, challenging time that I go through. And I know that if I didn't have this group of men, I would need another group of men somewhere because I need people pouring into me, and I need to be pouring into people. Going alone is not how God designed us. In fact, here's a life principle for you. If you're new here, a life principle is just a very succinct statement of something that I've seen, that I've witnessed through Scripture, or whatever, that I just want to sum it up in one statement. Here's the life principle. You were made in community for community. Now let me give you the background to that. Go back to Genesis. Think about Genesis. Whenever Adam was made, what was the first thing he said about Adam? Adam. He said, it's not good. Everything else he said, it's good. But he said, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, that's not just that he would have a bride, that he would have a wife, that they would get married, that they would have children, and they would live happily ever after. It's the whole concept. Because you you can live a single life. Paul was single. You can read about that. The whole idea is that you can't go through life alone. When you go through life alone, you're setting yourself up for Proverbs 18.1, self-destruction and self-centeredness. You don't want to do that. Self-destruction and self-centeredness is not the life you want to live. Even whenever you talk about the Godhead and how Elohim is the word used in Genesis, God in triune God, Elohim is the Hebrew plural form of El, El meaning God. So God in the plural form, are there multiple gods? No, there's not multiple gods, there's one God. But it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's why I say we were created in community for community. We were created in community, the Godhead, but we were created for community. And if we don't have people in our life, and if we aren't people in other people's lives, in a community-building community building I'm growing in you. You're growing in me. Where there's where there's equity being built up in the relationship. Where there's where there's pour in. Where you're calling me up and out, and you're calling uh, I'm calling you up and out. Then I'm missing it, and I'm going it alone, and it's very dangerous. But I'm afraid we don't know how to do community. We don't know how to do community well. The more and more I see of that, that's why I think groups don't make it sometimes. But when we do community well. We will live life with each other. Now, I'm not talking commune life, but I'm talking living life well in each other's junk, in each other's business, not in a bad way, but in a loving, caring way. In fact, I want to show you this today. In Galatians chapter 6, this is one of many passages that you can look at. And you see this metaphor that he plays out here. He gives the metaphor of a family. He talks about brothers. He talks about households. And don't think about it as in your individual household. Think about it in the context that he's writing this to the church at Galatia. He's not writing this to the McDaniel family or the Smith family or the Jones family. He's writing this to the church at Galatia. He's writing it to a body of believers. He could be writing it to Grace Point Church. But when you come to Galatians chapter 6, you see in the very first words, he uses this whole idea of family. He says, brothers, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him. Now, let's stop there. We'll come back and break the rest of that down in a moment. But just notice the very first word. He says, brothers, brothers. He addresses them not as, hey, church members or, or, hey, uh, uh, people of Galatia. He calls them brothers. And just so you don't get confused, if you go on down to verse 10, you find there, what does he say? And let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So sandwiched in this entire passage is the concept of brotherhood, is the concept of household, is the concept of faith tying us all together. I know I'm building a house here, so hang with me on this. Because this is not something, again, that's just one and done. The whole idea of how do you come a part of this family? How do I join the family? You don't just join a church. That's not how it's done. You don't just say, hey, I'm, I'm a part. I'm a, I'm a brother. Hey, we're, we're brothers at this. No, no, no. It's a spiritual experience. You're adopted into this family. Not because I said you're adopted. You're adopted because Jesus said you're adopted. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he adopted us into his own family this Gave him great pleasure. I love that statement. It gives it gives this whole idea of joy in the heart of God to bring you into His family, to bring you into His household of faith. So don't sit there and just hear it and go in one area after another. Let it reside in there a moment and just think about it. God chose me. God chose me individually to be his, a part of his family. And, and also, you're born into this family. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, to as many as believed in him or to receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Now, I know this may be Sunday School 101, but let it rest in your heart a little bit. That you are born into, adopted into a family. That's a brotherhood here, a sisterhood here, that we are connected here somehow some way. Now what's this family called? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Timothy, chapter 3, verse 15. So Paul's writing young Timothy, helping him pastor uh, the church at Ephesus here. He says, "I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household. Is't that beautiful? So he's telling them how they ought to act, and what is this household called, which is the church, which is the church. So you want to talk about the family of God, you want to talk about a community, we're talking about the church, not the building, the household, the people in the church. If you live in a house, and hopefully you do, and it burned today, God forbid that it would, would you still have a family? Absolutely. 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 You have a family because the family are the people inside of it. The family are the people right here. And you're connected because you're connected through Christ. Because He adopted you, because you believed in Him, because you received Him, and He made you His child. It's a beautiful thing. But here's the problem. Some of us get as far away from the family as we can. Some of us live live at arm's length from the family. Some of us don't want to connect with the family. We just want to pick and choose what part of the family we're going to be a part of. And we'll dart in and dart out. I think we've all had family members around the Thanksgiving table. They sat there, hadn't seen you since last Thanksgiving, see you next year. And some of you are saying, thank God. When you're part of a family that cares, not just a family, a family that cares There's a difference. There's things that happen in that. And I want to talk about that real quickly from this, just a few verses, that three times in our life when we need need that family, one is when life is dangerous and messy. And Man, is that not ever the case. When life is dangerous and messy. Did you catch that phrase that I read past so quickly? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Brothers, sisters, if you're in community with somebody and somebody that you know gets caught, snared, trapped, tangled, entangled, held for ransom, then the next phrase, he says, those of you who are spiritual, go into their life and restore them in gentleness. Here's the problem with many faith communities is, when somebody falls, we say, yeah, I, I knew they were going to fail. We pick up rocks and we start throwing at them. That's not at all the, the approach of a family. The family is the one who goes and, and, and restores them and brings them back to life. Any of you all ever watch the movie? They're older now. Taken. You know, Liam Neeson, he's in the movie. and He rescued, his daughter gets kidnapped. It's like, when I saw that movie, my daughter was not going anywhere at that point forward. Now, originally, she was only going to go to to, to college, and she was choosing a college that was just across the interstate from us. It's like, you can go a little further, okay? You know, maybe 45 minutes away or something like that, but that was where she was wanting to go. And then, lo and behold, she comes in the house, and she says, I want to go to a college a thousand miles from home, literally a thousand miles, a thousand six, I think I looked it up this morning, a thousand miles from home in Virginia. I said, what are you, kidding me? What happened to the college across the street? Because I'm not worried about the, 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 I'm worried about her safety. I said, okay, you can go, but you're going to have to get some self-defense. And so I literally enrolled her in the Bentonville PD uh, self-defense class and gave her pepper spray and everything, all right? Jen Brock, who's a member of our church, actually teaches the self-defense class. And so she she taught my daughter, and my daughter went in, Scratch it and claw, and didn't want to go in, and she came out happy on the other side. And I listen. I wanted, I wanted her to have every measure of defense available. Some hairy-legged boy come up to her and try to kidnap her. I wanted her to be protected. And here's the point: is we go through life, and life reaches out and grabs us. We are caught. We are ensnared. We are get entangled brothers if you if anyone is caught ensnared and trapped entangled in transgression you who are spiritual restore them we need to get in people's lives and if we're part of a community that cares we will get in people's lives in a good way to help them, to call them up and to call them out. Martin Luther, in his commentary, the 1500s great reformer said it like this on on, on Galatians chapter 6. He says, run unto him, reaching out your hand, raising him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. I look at this congregation, this faith family that I'm a part of for the past 15 years. And I appreciate this family for embracing me and restoring me and picking me back up when I fall. Because I will fall and you will fall and you will be caught and you will be ensnared and I will too. And we got to look out for each other and we got to help each other. That's when you have a faith family. That's when you have a community that really cares. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, that's an efficiency thing. It's more efficient to have two. But now look at the next statement. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Now, I should almost just say when they fall. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, has not another to lift him up. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to press in. I'm going to if I was one on one with you, I'm going to ask you this question again and again. Who is in your life that's calling you up, that's calling you out? Who in your is in your life that you're building equity in a relationship with right now? Who in your life is not letting you just give flat answers but is actually diving in and asking you the tough questions? Who are you doing one another with? We'll talk about that in a few moments, but let's talk about the second time that I need a faith family, and that's when I think I'm invincible. When you think you're invincible, you need somebody to speak truth into your life. Listen, life is messy, and there's not a perfect church, and if you think this is a perfect church, then please, you're going to be sorely disappointed moving forward. Dietrich Bonhoeffer pointed out that there's not a perfect church, there's not a perfect community. He writes this great work, classic work called Life Together, And in that book, he says it like this. He who loves his dream of community more than his Christian community, loves the dream of community more than Christian community itself, becomes a destroyer of the latter. If we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed, even when there is not great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. If, on the contrary, we keep complaining that everything is paltry and petty, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow. If all we do is sit back and become a consumer of this church, and critiquing this church and critiquing, we're not, uh-uh, we're, we're not a family at that point. We're consumers. What we have to step up and be is how can I become a part of a family that will be healthy and helpful and grow and care for one another and care beyond our four walls. I need to think, there are going to be times in my life I I can do it alone. I, I I I don't need your help, God. I can remember whenever I was a lifeguard, one of my first paying jobs growing up in high school and college was I got paid to sit out in the sun. I got paid to have a tan. I got paid to swim. That was a pretty sweet job. But one of the first things they taught us in, in lifeguard training was how to save yourself from somebody else who's trying to drown you. As you're trying to save them, the how to save yourself, how to, how to push pressure points and how to get away and how to find safety. Because the reality is, is you can think you're going in to help somebody and yourself be drowned in the process. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Because the very thing he warns us about. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. In the spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. As you're going into somebody's mess and muck and mire, get ready. You yourself may be sucked in. When you think you're invincible, get ready. You could be sucked in. Get, get ready, you could be the next person to fall. Verse 3 even goes on and, and says it like this. It says, thanks, he, uh, he is something when he is nothing. He's actually deceiving himself. So here's what happens in the church. Well, let me give a hypothetical situation and let you all fill in the blanks. Somebody comes to me and asks for help. A mess, a mess. I want to help. So I go over here to try to help help them out. And what I find myself is I am this close to being caught up in the same mess that they're in. I have to watch myself. I am not invincible. I can find myself slipping into the very thing that I'm trying to prevent in someone else's life. And if I don't think I am, if I don't think I will, I'm deceiving myself. A verse that I memorized when I was in college. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Lest he fall. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, points out that the number one issue really in every, every life of everybody is pride. Pride is the thing that trips up everyone. All other sins point back to pride. This is what he said in his book, Mere Christianity. The essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that, and fill in the blank, and more and more and more, are mere flea bites. Love that statement. Flea bites in comparison. It was It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. I have to be careful. You have to be careful that you don't think you're invincible. And as you're helping someone else that you don't yourself get sucked in, be careful. As you're helping others that you don't get pulled in. Number three, you need a church in the times when your load is too heavy. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands today who's carrying a heavy load. You may be carrying a heavy financial load. That literally you have too much month left at the end of every paycheck. You, you got such a load right now in your family, in your dynamics of your marriage, in the dynamics of your children, that you are crushing under the weight of that. You are under pressure on the job. You are under, you know, you just fill in the blank. Some of you are weighted, weighted down. What do you do? Say, well, I just buckle up and I just got to go on. Nobody's going to bail me out of this. I get it. I get it. But what if you had people? What if you had a community that would walk with you through it? That would help you when they could? That would help carry the load for a mile so that you could rest? Oh, I would love that. Welcome to the church as God designed it. Hebrews chapter, sorry, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens burdens. When we can get in someone's life and we can walk with them for a mile or two miles, when we're in their life, when there's enough equity built up that we're not just mooching and drawing from and sucking life out of, but there's equity because I poured in, you poured in, we've all poured in, and now the relationship is is, is healthy. And then when I began to sink, guess what? I'm going to help carry you along. And guess what? There's going to be a day that I'm going to begin to sing and you're going to help carry me along. That's how God designed us, that we would not be alone, that in this fallen, broken world, as we're broken in this broken, fallen world, that we would have a community that cares, that walks together with each other. That's what we want. It's the whole idea of why the New Testament talks about it so many times. Fifty-five times he says, one another, love one another, forgive one another. There's so many of them. If you want a full list of the one another's, you email me this afternoon and I'll send you the entire list. But let me give you just a sampling right now. Galatians 5.13 in the same book, through love serve one another. Ephesians four thirty-two. be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. I want to ask you this question. I want you to write their name down. Hear this question. Just write it down in the corner. If you've got two or three, write two or three down. And here, I'm going to tell you, if you put down your spouse, you've got to put down one other. All right? That's the deal. Who do you do one another's with? Who are you kind to? Who are you tender-hearted to? Who are you so much in their life that you are forgiving them and they're forgiving you? Who do you do one another's with? I asked that in the first service. I had several people walk out and tell me, "I'm alone. I don't have anybody to do one another's with." You weren't meant that way. That's not how you were designed. You are built, made in God's perfect order for a family, for a community that cares, that sticks with one another. Galatians, James chapter 5, verse 16, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Listen. Fifty-five times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, Christ and, and Peter uh, mentioned the one another six times. Hebrews three times. John uh, seven times. Paul thirty different times he uses one another. Here's one. No creepers allowed on this one. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen verse twelve. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All right. Somebody random comes up to tries to kiss you in a moment. You have my right. You can sock them. You know, okay. Embrace them, handshake. Okay, that's good enough. But the whole idea there is a hospitable spirit about you. The whole idea is connecting with one another. Are you a wall that won't let anybody else in? You're gonna. It's gonna be impossible for you to ever be a part of a community that cares if you're a wall, if you're a vault, if no one gets in. Bear one another's burdens. Sean, anchor, study. For 12 years, most of those years at Harvard, studying different cultures of the world, traveling all over the world, and studying this, studying the concept of social connectedness and the value it brings. He said in his study that those that were the happiest and most joy-filled, whether they were in a war-torn country, a country where their economy was collapsing, or they were in a vibrant economy, was if they were socially connected to other people, particularly if they had five or more friends that they were socially connected to. Furthermore, he goes on to say, social connectedness are as easily predictable, uh, predicted to the life long, uh, to a long life as obesity, as blood pressure, as smoking. People who are connected live longer, are happier. The aggregate of the five people you spend most of your time with will determine the mood of your life. Connectedness. How connected are you? If you're an island, you will live alone, you will die alone, and you will die miserable. If you're a walled-off person who will not let people in and know your hearts, your pains, your ups and downs, you will die alone in the midst of a community of people. We need a community that cares. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I'm going to read two of the passages of the three where it mentions the one another's. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another as all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now this is the verse that we talk about when we talk about the church. Why is the church the church? So that we can do one another's with one another? And one of those one another's is to encourage one another. A communitas group that encourages you, that holds you up, that lifts you up, that you're pouring into, that they're pouring into. That's what we're talking about. That's connectedness. One more in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Now notice this. How often should you be encouraged? How often should you be an encourager? Daily, weekly, or monthly? Daily. Who have you encouraged today? You think, well, nobody's encouraged me. Don't do that. Who have you encouraged? I have never experienced in my life a time where I don't intentionally, thoughtfully encourage someone else that reciprocal reciprocal way, I get encouraged at the same time. As I see them coming up out of the pit of despair, that I don't find encouragement in that and that I didn't build a lifelong forever friend. Encouraging. Where does it happen? It happens in community. It happens in the church, the household of God, if the church is acting as the church. Encouragement is the oxygen. When you come around the body of Christ, that it shouldn't be sucked from you, but it should be poured into you. Our son was home this week from West Point, and he graduates this spring, and he's uh, branched into the infantry. and because of because he's graduating as an officer, he he will start Ranger school this su- summer. and we were he showed us a documentary on what it's like to go through ranger school, and it's not Boy Scout camp and uh, in, in any sense of the word. And there was one thing. I watched the documentary twice this weekend, and there was a couple of phrases that stood out. One of those phrases that they, they drove home, that an army ranger never leaves a man behind. Never leaves a man behind. And then this phrase came out loud and clear. A ranger takes care of the man next to him. If his neighbor fails, he fails. That's Army Ranger school. What if we were a church who had the same mentality? I'm only as successful. I'm only as right. I'm only as in order as the person I'm doing one another's with. I'm only as healthy as the person I'm walking next to that I'm I'm living life with I'm sharing faith with that I'm journeying with I'm only as strong as they are strong and I will not 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 leave them behind Then my friends I think we're living in a community that cares Will you be a part of a community that cares Will you be a part of making a community care Would you pray with me? Father, oh, how we take it for granted. Oh, how we take having people in our lives until they're not there. Lord, we need multiple people daily that we are encouraging and that will, in turn, encourage us. We need to be the church. We need to be the family. And when there's brokenness, Lord, we don't throw rocks at the broken and the downcast and those caught in transgressions, but we who are spiritual go with gentleness and love and the mother's touch and help unravel the brokenness that they're in. Always being careful that we too don't slip. We are not invincible. And we need the church. We need each other. We need this church to be a community that really, truly cares. And that it's not a three-minute thing that we do at a close of a service randomly, but it is a part of our life where we are pouring ourselves into one another, loving, acting tenderheartedly, forgiving, praying for, encouraging one another, but we need one another. And where some in this room today I know are broken and are living in a state of brokenness right now, and this message is resonating because they feel isolated, they feel alone, they feel like there's nobody in their life. And Lord, in a spirit of desperation, Lord, right now, would you help them? to sense that this is a faith family that will embrace the brokenness, that will help them find restoration, that will help them get on their feet again, no matter how broken they may be. Lord, would you bring restoration now? I pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing with us? The Lord is dealing with you. I'll be hanging out here at the front. I'll have some prayer partners at the front with me. This is your time.